Good morning, church family. Um, it's time for our Bible reading now. So open your Bibles at Ecclesiastes, and we're starting at chapter 10, verse 1, and we'll be reading to chapter 11, verse 6. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honour. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense, and show everyone how stupid they are. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offences to rest. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. The axe is dull and its edge John sharpened. More strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness and fools multiply words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. They do not know the way to town. Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Through laziness, the rafters sag. Because of idle hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry. And money is the answer for everything. Do not revile the king, even in your thoughts. Or curse the rich in your bedroom. Because a bird in the sky may carry your words. And a bird on the wing may report what you say. Ship your grains across the sea. After many days, you may receive return. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth, whether a tree falls to the south or to the north. In the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning, and in the evening let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. This is God's word. Good morning, church family. Let's pray as we look at uh, these beguiling words together. Our Father God, we uh, thank you for the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes. We thank you for uh, the wisdom the insight, the help it provides. We thank you too for the confirmation we find in it. Uh, here is a book that so seems to understand our world and our lives. Here surely is, a, is truth that only God could provide. Help us, we pray, to understand it this morning. Amen. Now, as a culture, I think we crave certainty, perhaps more than any other culture ever has done. Uh, you see it in so many ways. We, we are just uncomfortable with risk. 
whatever you make of the, the government's response to COVID, it's striking how often in the briefings they've said something like, the science is clear, we're just, we're just following the science. And behold our graphs. We're just following the science. We're, you know, it's clear and there is no, no decision really being made. We're just following what's clear and certain. The internet now means you don't even buy a toothbrush without checking the reviews so you can be sure it's reliable and it works. Uh, we've, we've made such enormous advances in science, in technology, in knowledge that, that I think we kid ourselves that we can, to a huge degree, remove the risk from life and, and just follow the path of certainty. Now, Ecclesiastes 11 doesn't call us to be reckless, but it does call us to recognize that there will always be risks in life. And we're going to have to learn to deal with that if we're going to live wisely and well in the reality of this world. We must learn to trust God and take a risk. That's what it teaches us. Now, in one sense, uh, chapter nine last week was the, the, the climax of the book of Ecclesiastes. We've been learning that uh, life is hevel, mist, vapor, transient, ephemeral and uncertain that all of life is corrupted by the fall. And, and so it's as if we go through life now grasping the mist, trying to hold on to a, a breath on a cold day. And chapter nine taught us last week that there is though one thing we can rely on, one bankable certainty in life, and that is death. In other words, not only is life mist-like, but we are mist-like, just a passing breath soon to be gone. Now, the temptation is to respond to all this, I think, by just losing motivation and becoming cynical. You just lie at home on the sofa, unshaven, surrounded by pizza boxes and empty cans, mumbling into the darkness. It's all meaningless, meaningless, ignoring the calls from work. Actually, that's probably less a response to Ecclesiastes than just the, the final week of lockdown is where we all are right now. But in chapters 10 and 11, the teacher tells us, look, the frustrations and the fleeting nature of life it shouldn't lead us to cynicism and to a fatalistic inertia. Instead, we're to get on with it. Uh, We're not going to cover chapter 10 now, but you can ask about it in question time. I've worked it through this week. But in chapter 10, the the teacher basically says, look, you've still got to live. You've still got to live. And if you're going to live, you'd better learn to be wise. Otherwise, life is going to be quite miserable. It sounds a lot like Proverbs. You've probably noticed that on the way through. But it does have a, a particularly Ecclesiastes flavour to it. I think that's given by uh, 10.1, which is the, uh, the theme verse, really. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honour. Even a little, little bit of foolishness can just ruin a life of wisdom. So you need to be wise in every area of life and Chapter 10 goes through a broad range of the areas of life. But we're going to focus this morning uh, in the sermon on chapter 11, 1 to 6, the entrepreneur's chapter. And that's because I think its message is particularly important for us at the end of 2020. Uh, The legacy of long lockdowns at home mean that many of us feel just a deep sense of inertia. We We just got used to being static at home. And the huge fog of uncertainty about 2021, it can paralyze us into indecision. Well, to put it crudely, Ecclesiastes 11 encourages us, pull your finger out and get on with it. (laughs) 
to put it crudely. Uh, slightly more uh, close to the text, trust God and take a risk. Chapter 11 is written in the language of, of business. You, you'll have noticed that. But actually, it's lessons they, they work out in every area of life. From the decision whether to retrain for a new career to the decision of who and how you invite people to carol services. Take a risk, trust in God. So firstly, uh, take risks and be wise. That's the message of verses 1 to 2. Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 11. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. The old translation was cast your bread upon the waters. And this, I think there's a reason that in, in talking about risk, they chose maritime trade. I mean, there was probably no more risky business venture in the ancient world than maritime trade. Reliant on the winds, without accurate long-range weather forecasts to warn of storms coming in, there were many a cargo ended up at the bottom of the sea. And the, it wasn't a quick return activity either. The, the many days rather undersells it, to be honest. When you read 2 Chronicles 9.21, it tells us that uh, King Solomon's trading fleet would return every three years. It's a slow business. Now, remember, this is wisdom literature. The, the teacher's not making promises to us. Rather, he's observing patterns in the reality of the world. The way things usually work in this world is that if you want to make a profit, you have to take a risk and you have to be patient. It's just the way it works. It's a principle every business person knows. You've got to risk something or you can be sure you'll gain nothing. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. And verse 2 adds a crucial element. Invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land, or indeed the sea. There's no guarantee of success in any venture. So, well, in our parlance, diversify your portfolio. Don't put all your eggs in one basket or all your grain on one ship. Now, if we listened to the advice of just these two verses, I think we'd be a lot less likely to be taken in by the Ponzi schemes and the fraudulent investments that sadly seem to hoodwink so many people these days. It's desperately sad. It seems every month or so there's a long read article on the BBC of a, of a poor retired couple who've lost everything. But so often when you read the story, you read that, uh, oh, the person who, who we invested with, they promised us a return of 30% a year every year from the start. Look, if it is too good to be true, if it sounds too good to be true, well, it is usually too good to be true. In the real world, there are no investments without risk, and the higher the rate of return, usually the higher the risk you face. So don't invest all you have on something that sounds too good to be true. Verses 3 to 4 then are an encouragement to, well, I think they're an encouragement to do your homework and then just get on with it. Verse 3, if clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. Now, the point of the first half of verse 3 is about the clouds, is that while there are no guarantees in life and in business, there are, however, predictable patterns. Now, when the clouds are heavy and dark, it usually means rain. 
In other words, study hard so that you understand the the realities, the, the normal rules, the basic principles that govern whatever area of life you're involved in, whatever area you work in. Make sure you understand it, that you study it. And then act. That's what the, the falling tree tells us. You know, when a big old tree fell back then, it was far too large and heavy to get shifted. It would just lie where it was, and that's it. Point is, the window of opportunity doesn't stay open forever. Eventually, it shuts. And when it shuts, there's no opening it. You, you can no more go back in time and have the opportunity again than you can shift a tree once it's fallen. And we need to hear that because of verse 4. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. You know, some of us are, are, are so concerned to, to wait for the ideal moment, are, are so concerned to make sure that we're absolutely certain about this decision we're taking, that actually we, we almost never make any decisions. We, we never commit to any changes. And so opportunity after opportunity passes us by. At some point having done the work, having studied hard, you've got to take a risk and go for it. Now, there are no guarantees in business or finance or romance or almost any other area of life. And that's a lesson that I wonder whether Christians can be particularly slow to learn. Uh, There can be a danger that we we misread the promises of the Bible. God is for us. He loves us. And he's committed to doing good for us. And we act as if, well, as if God is some kind of a genie, that because he's for us, it means that, well, the usual rules don't apply to our health and our finances, that he will somehow keep me COVID free. And when I choose to invest in, in a unit trust, it'll, it'll just blow the market away with the rate of return. And then, and then when we do get cancer or get made redundant, or our investment just comes up empty, where we get angry with God and wonder where he is. Now, to be a Christian, let's be sure, to be a Christian is to be a much-loved child of the living God. But we still live in this fallen world. And we still face the frustrations that that brings. So God calls us to take risks, recognizing they really are risks. That sometimes, like everybody else, we really might lose. But then we have to be wise and get on with things. So be wise, but take risks. Secondly, trust God and work hard. Trust God and work hard. That's verses five to six. And here we see that while we may not be in control of all the risks of life, That doesn't mean everything is just down to random chance, the the roll of a dice. Look at verse 5. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in a mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. His point is, all things are not in the hand of chance. They are in the hand of God, our loving creator. Uh, He may not reveal to us what will happen with our business venture, our health, our attempts to have children. But be in no doubt, he is sovereign over all those things. Uh, You could put it this way. He takes no risks, so you and I can. He takes no risks, so you and I can. It's one of the ways that God is just not like us. He is the sovereign creator. He is in control of everything. There are no risks, no chances with God. He takes no risks, so we can. 
Um, I used to help teach rock climbing at um, a Christian kids camp in the summers. And we would always urge the, the kids to, to stretch themselves and have a go, you know, try something you, you don't think you can do. You'd always be pushing them. No, no you've, got to, you've got to try something. It's a bit too hard. Otherwise, you'll, you'll never learn. It's okay to fail. It's okay to fall. There is a rope. Now, the kids could take that approach to climbing because we did not take that approach to setting up the ropes. We didn't say, you've never set up a, a climbing rope before. Take a risk. Have a chance. Go on. You just try. No, no. We made sure that the setup was bomb-proof and was checked over by highly qualified people. God is in control of all the details of our lives, from the number of hairs on our head to the progress of a virus in our body to the growth of our business. He takes no risks, so we can. He's holding the rope. Now note again um, from the second half of, uh, of verse 5 and verse 6 that we're then to, to respond to this truth by working hard. Verse 6, sow your seed in the evening. Uh, so, so you cannot understand the work of God. He is the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning. And at evening, let your hands not be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. In the light of God's control, trust him and, and work hard. The sovereignty of God is never an excuse for being lazy in the Bible. It's always a spur to actually have a go, to work hard. It's worth trying because God is holding the rope. And note again from the second half of verse 6 that there's no guarantee of success for every plan that we baptize in prayer. Try lots of things. Some are probably going to work out. That's what it says. Not whatever you do, God will give you success. If you notice, these six short verses, they contain four repeated warnings. They're actually exactly the same phrase in the original. Four times, you do not know. Verse 2, verse 5, twice. And then verse 6, you do not know. Life is uncertain. God does not reveal his hand to us. But that must not lead to inaction. The three commands that appear in this passage, ship, verse 1, invest, verse 2, and sow, verse 6. In other words, we do not know what God is going to do in our lives. So trust him, take a risk, and work hard. See, risk is sewn into the fabric of life. And Ecclesiastes 11 reminds us of that. We need to make our peace with that if we are going to get on in the real world. Pretty much everything worthwhile in life requires some risk. It's a risk to do an apprenticeship and learn a trade or to get into debt to study at university. There's no guarantee of a graduate job afterwards. But you can guarantee you won't get a graduate job without taking that risk. It's a risk to invest in shares or, or to pay out a deposit for a flat. There's no guarantee the investment will go up or that interest rates might not do something crazy and, and make the, the mortgage payments just un, unmanageable. But you can guarantee you won't see a return if you don't take the risk. It's a risk to take a year out from work to do a ministry internship at church. There's no guarantee that at the end of the year, you'll conclude, actually, it's right for me to go on for a lifetime of gospel ministry. There's no guarantee that you'll be able to go back to your old job afterwards if you don't. But you can guarantee you, you won't know if ministry is right for you unless you give it a go. 
It's a risk to share the gospel with someone or invite them to a carol service. There's no guarantee that they'll come along rather than responding rudely, mocking you even, ghosting you. But you can guarantee they won't come if you don't invite them. So verse 2 says, invest in seven ventures, yes, in eight. I find that's about right for <laughs> invitations, even to things like carol services. Invest, invest in, invite seven or eight people, and usually one or two will come. But don't put all your eggs in one basket. But I find every year where I've invited more than five people, at least one has come. Try it. Now, some of us will love the message of Ecclesiastes 11. We are the natural risk takers, the entrepreneurs, comfortable with uncertainty. That is not me. But some of you are like that. Others of us are more conservative and cautious by nature. And we may not have enjoyed the message of Ecclesiastes the last 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean, look, I've got enough other sins to fight in my life. And, and now you're telling me I'm failing God because I'm too cautious too. Thanks for that. As if life wasn't feeling crazy and out of control enough already. Well, look, God doesn't require us all to suddenly become Richard Branson or Elon Musk. You can't dramatically change your personality. And there are other parts of the wisdom literature which encourage caution. To be sober-minded. However, however, the message of Ecclesiastes 11, 1 to 6 is that within the bounds of our own personalities... We all need to learn to exercise our trust in the God who is in control by taking some risks and working hard. And not because Ecclesiastes 11 promises us success every time we do that, but because it warns us that if we don't risk something, we'll never get anything. Now, it is important uh, to say before we, uh, before we start to think about uh, concluding this, that there is no point in beating yourself up over the opportunities you've failed to take in the past. I've, I've not embraced risk in the past. And, oh, look at where my life has got to and where it could be. The tree is now lying on the ground. It's not going to be shifted. So don't waste time on what ifs and if onlys. Tomorrow is a fresh day. Well, look. The, the last thing we need to say is that uh, Ecclesiastes sits in the Old Testament of the Bible, and the whole Bible points to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we've seen again and again that the New Testament doesn't contradict the message of Ecclesiastes. That what, the, what the teacher observes about the world remains true for us, as true for us today as it was for the original audience back then. But the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ does shine fresh light on the teaching of Ecclesiastes. And in particular, it demonstrates that although the observations about life in this world remain true, we now know this world, this life, is not the end. Okay, so how does eternal life with Jesus shed light on chapter 11? What we find is that rewards are guaranteed in the kingdom of God. Rewards are guaranteed in the kingdom of God. Or if you like, the principle of risk and reward in this world becomes a promise of reward in the kingdom of God. The principle of risk and reward in this world becomes a promise of reward in the kingdom of God. Two things. First, the risk we take when we put our trust in Jesus, uh, uh, it's guaranteed to bring you eternal life and forgiveness. 
His resurrection guarantees it. Second, the, the risk we, we take every time we serve Jesus and sacrifice for him as followers of his. Eternal reward is now guaranteed. Uh, Jesus taught in Matthew 6 that when you serve God genuinely, giving to the needy, uh, praying earnestly, fasting, well, quote, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father will reward you. There is no guarantee when I share the gospel with someone that they'll respond well and will want to know more about Jesus. But there is a guarantee that God will reward us eternally for that attempt to serve him. There's no guarantee that when we, we give money generously and sacrificially and cheerfully to, to help the needy and to support gospel ministry at church and abroad, that God will flourish our own finances in response. But we are guaranteed heavenly treasure and the pleasure of our heavenly father. Those things are guaranteed. When we serve Jesus, we rely on something far more certain than well-observed principles of risk and reward. We have the promise of reward from our eternal God. Paul puts it this way at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray. Our Father God, we praise you for your kindness to us in giving us your wisdom so that we would understand the world better. Help us to, in this particular way, to, to live wisely and well taking risks, working hard, trusting you. And we thank you so much, Father, that, that it is no risk at all to put our trust in the Lord Jesus and to serve you. For with you, our eternal rewards are guaranteed. Help us to believe that, to long for that, and to live for that now. Amen.